Okay, I'm going to start this podcast with a quote from Upton Sinclair, just in case you want to look it up. You can't convince someone to change if their livelihood depends on it. Greetings, podcasterians. Hello, everyone. How are you? It's Todd Conklin. This is the Pre-Accident Podcast. Glad you're here. Uh, it's always nice to have you in our little get-togethers where we get together and hang out. You know, that's what we do is get together and hang out. I am slammed. I don't know about you, but my, you know, my fantasy that everything's going to get less, things are going to slow down, you know, going to lay around, do nothing, eat candy. That fantasy, completely blown away. Now I'm packing uh, for a long trip. And I have to take safety shoes, which I'm not complaining. I mean, you know, I know a lot of you carry safety shoes everywhere, but they're a drag to pack. And you know this before I said it, but I'm just sharing with you the feelings I have. And they're not that comfortable. Although once you've, these are really good ones. So I, these, these safety shoes I'm into, I like these more than uh, the normal safety shoe uh, discomfort that I have. These ones are good, but now I'm packing up. We're going to go on a big trip. I'm going to go, um, out with my buddies, Steve and Barb, and we're going to look at a big operation and probably do some focus groups and some learnings. So it should be fun. I mean, I got a big week next week and I bet you do too. That's probably how things work. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And we're sort of tilting towards the end of the year, which is good, at least in my mind it is, because we have some pretty hard breaks that people generally are pretty good about respecting. So that's good. So, you know, and my favorite holiday in the United States, and there are many great holidays. I'm not, um, I'm not, I'm not holding one up against, well, I guess I am holding them up against the other, but I like Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving in my mind is the best holiday in the world. And the reason it is, is because it doesn't have a lot of other agendas. It's just about being grateful. And gratefulness is a powerful tool. You know that. I don't have to tell you this. We don't spend a lot of time being grateful because I think we're constantly, we're constantly not being mindful. Um, and I think about mindful ever since we talked about it on the podcast earlier this year. Um, Ellen Lang, the, the whole mindful definition she gives, being able to look at something you've seen a million times and see something different. That's really more about gratitude than it is about awareness. And mindfulness is more about it's really more about being sort of cognizant of where you are in the system and understanding that's where you are. And that's why I like Thanksgiving. Also, it's, you know, it's just rife with uh, uh, dietary yummies, pumpkin pie, stuffing, mashed potatoes. I'm not a big turkey guy. I, I probably should be a big turkey guy. I think turkey's healthier. But the problem with turkey is it's relatively boring. But you can always supplement Thanksgiving with some Easter favorites like ham or ham loaf. I'm a pretty big fan. I just discovered that late in life, and I like it much. It's delicious. But nonetheless, that's coming. And then we've got the end of the year holidays, Christmas, et cetera, New Year's. So that's kind of good. And December, you always think it's it does. December gets a little slow. I mean, I know I make my living telling people December is a month that doesn't exist. But uh, our job doesn't really let up very much because – as people get more in the party mood, they get less attentive. 
and more things happen and more pressures are on them. And there's a lot of external pressures. So, you know, the drill, I don't know. It's coming up. I'm about time. Crap. I'm talking myself out of enjoying this. What, what happened? I started this conversation under the guise that I was heading towards celebrating the fact that we had these holidays and I talked myself into some kind of weird frenzy where now I'm dreading it. How did that happen? Dang. Ah, uh, who knows? Who knows? Okay, so let's talk about the podcast today because this is by special request. Thank you, Amy. Um, so if you read, and, and you may not all get this, but ASSP, which used to be ASSE, and that's the American Society of Safety Professionals. Yeah, that's the P. Uh, they have a magazine they put out, and this month, October of 2018, they put out a magazine, and in the middle of that magazine, bigger than Dallas, is an article that I've gotten so many comments in my little email box to talk about. And the article is called Integrating the Best of Hop, that's Human and Organizational Performance, and BBS, that's Behavioral-Based Safety, colon, a holistic approach to improving safety performance. And it's by um, Josh Williams, who some of you probably know, and Steve Roberts, who some of you probably know. I, so I know both of them. And they both are PhDs. Or, or so the paper says Josh Williams, PhD, Steve Roberts, PhD. So that makes me think I should say Todd Conklin, PhD. So, okay, so we're all even there. And Josh and Steve were grad students of, of uh, Scott Geller and went through Geller's program and graduated from the program and stayed on to work for SPS, I think, Safety Performance Solutions. I think that's what it's called. Geez, a better guy would have looked that up before he started. Um, and so there's been this kind of weird – the last couple of years have been kind of weird. And if, if you followed this at all, you kind of know what I'm talking about. But two years ago, Tom Krause, who's also another big behavioral-based safety guy, he set up this big session at ASSP, one of the big, like where everybody comes. So there's thousands of people in a giant ballroom and a million chairs and a stage with bright lights and leather furniture, that kind of, one of those big sessions like that. And he set it up so that it was a debate between human performance, kind of safety differently, the new view stuff, and behavioral-based safety. And it was Scott Geller and myself and then several other folks um, were involved that first year. And uh, I just don't remember everybody that was on there because it was uh, two years ago. And so, and forgive me, please, because they were all great people. I love them all. Um, and we had this discussion and, uh, and everybody thought it would be kind of fireworksy, boxing gloves. That's what everyone told me. And it was a, it was a, okay. I mean, I, I thought it was okay. I mean, it, it wasn't it, like it wasn't life changing to me, but that's because I had to be up on stage and talk about the human performance new view stuff. And Scott talked about behavioral based safety, and the and the discussion was really um, animated. And Scott was really really pushing hard on the fact that human performance and behavioral based safety are really the same thing in that ultimately uh, actively caring, that's a trademark thing that they use at SPS, that what really needed to happen was that workers needed to care more. And I told Scott that um, I, I didn't think that made much difference, that caring 
asking people to care more is great. I mean, it seems like a good thing to do, but ultimately I'm not sure that it makes a system safer. And then I explained in what I thought was nauseating detail that in my mind, the difference between human performance, the kind of the safety differently view and behavioral based safety fundamentally is the way they view the workers. And so that discussion kind of ended there. It got a little heated. I had to tell Scott he didn't get to tell me what to think, and it got kind of uh, amplified. But people really liked it, and, and I think it was thought-provoking. And so if that's what happened, then good on everybody. Good on Tom Krause for doing it, and good on all the people on the panel for being there. And it was fine. I mean, it was. I wouldn't tell you f- from my standpoint it was terribly satisfying, but I don't think the goal was to satisfy me. I mean, I think that I was there kind of like the trained monkey and I was to dance when they said to dance. And so that's what I did. And then all went great and it got really good reviews and it was uh, the highest rated thing they've ever done. And oh my goodness, it was great. And so then they decided last year that we'll just do it again. And I said, well, that's a dumb idea because you can't ever do something again. And we've already done it. And so they won and I don't know how this happened, but I, I fell like a house of cards and ended up doing it again this year in San Antonio. It was okay. I mean, it was, it was, it was good. It was interesting though, because by then the behavioral based safety people, Scott Geller and the people that were up there were much more in tune to the vocabulary and the thinking around the safety differently discussion. And so it was not nearly as animated and it was not nearly as, as um, uh, controversial, but it was great. The panel was good. Lori Shelby was there from Tesla. And there were, there were some people. So I remember people that it was just a year ago uh, or six or four months ago. I remember, I can remember four months, but, but the, the discussion was okay. Again, it was, it struck me that it was a lot of the same kind of thing for a second year in a row. And I, and it was well attended. I think people expected more fireworks and there were kind of less fireworks because there was more agreement. In fact, so much so that I, I actually, at one point, Scott said, you know, the system is really a giant part of failure. And I turned and hugged him and gave him a big kiss on the cheek. Cause why would you not do that? I mean, there's nothing funnier than a giant man kissing Scott Geller on a stage in front of 2000 people. I just can't, that's the peak of funniness. Right. And it was okay. I mean, it worked really well. But I don't think it solved anything. In fact, what I think it did was sort of set up this belief that there's somehow this competition between these two schools of thought. And that it's, uh, it's almost a new flavor of the month is taking over the old flavor of the month. And, and I mean, I think that's how people, I, I think people left the room thinking that because that's kind of what we gave them to think about. So if that's what we gave them to think about, well, that's what they're thinking about. And that I think probably, although I've not talked to Josh or Steve about this article, and I probably should have. I didn't even think about it until right now. But I'll bet you that sort of set Josh and Steve up to write this article. And they're really trying to build a bridge between these two schools of thought. And I must tell you that from a human being standpoint, I really appreciate what they're doing. That what they're trying to say is BBS is good. And human performance is good. Why don't we cherry pick the best of both of them and come up with great? And I think that's a noble idea. 
and I understand the motivation behind that, but I think it's wrong. And so I will tell you that I think this article, which I'm sure is going to get a lot of traction because it's a part of this big giant 10 minute thing I just described about the fireworks and controversy. I'm sure this article is going to get some traction, but I'm not sure the article is helpful. In fact, I'll take that back. I'm certain the article is not helpful. It's well written. They did a great job. They're great guys. But the article itself, I think, tries to bridge a philosophical underpinning, a philosophical difference that is not bridgeable because it is the reason safety differently ideas exist and behavioral-based safety ideas are in question. And as much as I think people want to say, you know, let's take the best of all worlds and fit it together, I don't think it happens that way. Um, but this, 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 you know, I want you to read the article and, and have your own opinion. But I think it's worth thinking about because in my mind, fundamentally, the problem is, is that these programs absolutely see workers differently. And that difference is the different in safety difference. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that made sense. I play it back, but I think it did. That the, the differently part of safety differently is not in a new program or new tools or, God forbid, a new database or a new peer evaluation form or a bubble sheet. Those aren't differences. Those are just lipsticks that we put on pigs. The different in safety differently is in seeing the workers not as the problem to be fixed, but seeing the workers, in fact, as the solution to be harnessed. And that's where this article, I think, does some interesting things. So it starts out uh, with the discussion, and it says that both BBS and human performance have been used successfully and they have, in fact, both improved safety performance. That's probably not debatable. That's probably true. And then it says the spirit of both approaches, and I'm reading this to you because I want you to think about it. And then it says parenthetically, open parentheses, when applied correctly, close parentheses, to continually improve system factors to influence human behavior and performance. Okay, That's their starting paragraph. And in essence, that's kind of going to be the foundation upon which they're going to lay their thesis. Although the thesis in here is a little bit hard to find. Um, they're, they're, they're certain, I think, and, and, and they should be because they're coming from the behavioral-based safety side of the house, that if they applied the programs correctly and that when correctly parenthetical statement is not there to define human performance, it's actually there to define behavioral-based safety. And so the challenge is, is that behavioral-based safety has gone almost entirely towards uh, uh, evaluating how workers behave and categorizing it into either safe or unsafe. And the crazy thing about safe or unsafe, near as I could tell, is that that's a retrospective value based upon consequence. That if I run with scissors and don't fall and no one sees me, the behavior happened but it wouldn't be deemed as unsafe unless I somehow self-observed and I'm terrible at self-absorption, uh, no absorption I'm good at. I'm terrible at self-observing, right? But, but we can talk about that later as it, as, it, as it sort of 
hits the track. And in fact, they talk about it pretty early in the article. They say some human performance proponents claim that BBS overemphasizes employee behavior and ignores system factors contributing to injuries and fatalities. Their message is essentially BBS targets the worker and not the system. Okay, so that phrase is for me. I mean, that, that, that's, that's a direct phrase written for me. And here's what I'll tell you, that that is true. I believe that BBS overemphasizes human behavior, but not at the cost of looking at the system. It's all it looks at is, is how the, the worker behaves. Now, the article goes on to, to give a pretty good overview of human performance. And they basically pick out sort of two major benefits, that it reduces the blame mentality and it recognizes that failure is a part of a system. It's a system product. And then there's a great quote from, from Sidney Decker that says, underneath every simple, obvious story about human error, there's a deeper, more complex story about the organization. And then they kind of talk about the basic principles of human performance, right? So that's good. That's, that's, that's a pretty good overview. And then they go to the Department of Energy uh, Human Performance Handbook. And actually, they're, they're mostly using the second book, which is the tools. And they spend five or six pages describing tools, even to the point where they talk about uh, Jens Rasmussen and, and um, sort of his, his belief around error and his performance modes model, which is fine. I mean, that's an interesting level to jump into. And then they discuss in great detail a lot of tools. And tools are great, but tools in an article like this, tools, tools without a problem to solve are a tiny bit masturbatory. And so it, these are a good way to sort of take up some space. And I think it does give kind of a good overview of the tools that are available, but it kind of misses out a little bit on the bigger shift philosophically that the tools are a part of, right? And remember, the DOE handbook was written, gosh, when did we do that? Um, Earl and the gang, um, gosh, at least 10 years ago. So the thinking's a little bit 10 year old, right? And Tony wrote it really the first one at Impo probably closer to 20 years ago. So, so the tools are there. And that was back when we thought air reduction was really powerful. And so the tools are sort of focused towards air reduction. Then the article goes in and, and talks about what behavioral-based safety is. And it says, BBS also focuses on employees following proper steps and procedures to stay safe. And they're getting that because they just went through the whole procedural adherence tool. However, he says, in addition to considering the flawed organizational systems, BBS also emphasizes the need for people to make proper choices to behave safely. So right there, that phrase, and I have it highlighted. What's the past tense of highlight? Highlight? I have it highlighted on, on my paper. Right there is a fundamental difference in philosophical understanding of what safety is. Is safety the absence of workers making bad choices? Or is safety the presence of capacity so that when bad things happen, unexpected, unplanned events take place, the system has the capacity to manage that? And that difference is really a big part of it. Choice is really a tricky word. And we should talk way more about choice because choice really implies at some level 
that the worker, in fact, has the power and understands all the potential implications of what they're about to do. So when you say a worker makes a bad choice, what you're saying is that the worker did not make the good choice. And that assumes that the worker understood what the good choice would be. BBS assumes, I'm reading from the paper, that employees will be working in a less than ideal situation and will have to make numerous decisions about working safely, even though alternative safety-related shortcuts are easier, faster, and more convenient, and may be encouraged by system pressures, right, as noted above. So employees sometimes take calculated risk. Well, employees are always taking calculated risk. I mean, even safe operations is a calculated risk. And then they say... The more they get away with the calculated risk, this is sort of their definition of bad choice, the more people get benefit from that and the more powerful that calculated risk comes in the future. So that's a classic behavioralist understanding of the world. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that, that's how a behavioralist would see the world. The question I would have is when, when does a shortcut become a shortcut? And really, what's the difference between a shortcut and a process improvement. Well, what's the difference between a good idea and a bad idea? Now, they go in and introduce um, the Aubrey Daniels model. They, they, they call it behavioral psychologists use the action behavior consequence, the ABC model. And they use that to explain risky shortcuts and also to prevent risky behaviors. And the belief is, is that um, the... The three parts, the A, B, and the C, the activator, the behavior, and the consequence, all work together in a, a rather linear fashion, in a non-complex fashion, to produce behavioral outcomes. So it goes on to talk about creating safety checklists based upon workplace behavior, right, and specific system problems that encourage risky behavior should be documented on the BBS checklist. So if you have problems, I think they're saying if the system encourages risky behavior, that's documented on, on, the, on the list. And then there's a lot of talk about, you know, good catches and near misses and all that stuff. But really what they sort of tied down to about midway into the paper, you'll see this, is that what BBS does is really examines the key factors that influence employees' attitudes and beliefs. Now, the problem with attitudes and beliefs is you, you can't really see attitudes and beliefs. I mean, they're, they're not no, – the, the action is, is observable, but my attitude and my belief system, the, the, I don't have a lot of observable sort of artifacts that I can share with you. And then they go on to talk about what Scott Geller talks about a lot. This includes person states that influence employees' propensity to actively care for coworker safety. Geller writes extensively about self-esteem, belonging, self-efficacy, locus of control, and optimism. These states can be improved to increase pro-social behavior like providing respectful safety feedback, appreciating the feedback you receive from others, avoiding shortcuts, working safely even when bosses aren't around, and sharing safety suggestions and close calls. So now they're making a case, and Scott makes this case a lot, that behavioral-based safety is really a cultural tool. They don't say that, but they, they talk about the fact that it's got the cultural power. In my mind, this argument is valuable, but that argument really illustrates the difference between the two programs and not the similarities between the two programs. 
And a lot of it kind of comes down to if you think about culture as something that is an outcome of the organization or something that's managed by the organization. And there are two schools of thought of that, but they're very different, right? I mean, they make a huge difference. They build a really strong case that behavioral-based safety, when applied properly, which that really bugs me, but when applied properly, actually can be incredibly impactful and is just the same as human performance. I don't know. And then the paper sort of ends with we're human performance and BBS are aligned philosophically. And here's what they say. Both programs emphasize system factors, right, that contribute to risky behavior and human error. And they see risky behavior and human error as the same, uh, at least in this paper. And, and, and catch me on this because if you think I'm full of crap, tell me. But they use it like this, risky behavior slash human error. The challenge is, is that I would bet you a nickel they believe risky behavior is a choice, right? Because they talk about choices all through this paper. And I will boldly tell you as a practitioner of safety differently, human error is not a choice. Error is an unexpected deviation from an intended outcome. It's not a choice. I didn't choose to make a mistake because if I chose to make a mistake, it's not a mistake, right? And so right there, I have some issues around the belief that risky behavior and human error are the same, but they, they say they're the same. The first question that both programs ask is where did the system fail? Okay, maybe uh, um, it could be true. The third point they make is employees are too often blamed following an injury. Discipline should be extremely rare and only reserved for willful or malicious noncompliance and or repeated violations. That one just pisses me off. Because repeated violations, I, I guess the assumption is, is that if an accident happens twice, you're twice as stupid. But, but we can talk about that later, too. More employee input is needed with safety procedures, audits, and incident analysis, near-miss reporting, close-call reporting, peer-to-peer, -peer, right? They, they're big on that. They see that as an observation program. I would call that a learning program. System improvements and employee input are ongoing. Okay, that's good. That's a, that's a point we can agree on. And improving system factors reduces, here's the, here it is again, human error slash risky behavior and corresponding injuries with fatalities. I, I don't think, at least in contemporary thinking, the notion of reduction of error is as powerful as this notion of choice is to them. I just don't see it. And then they conclude. And here's what they say. Overall, both human performance and BBS offer powerful principles and practical applications to improve safety systems, culture, and performance. Unfortunately, these approaches are sometimes presented as incongruous, I love that word, or competing. Agnew points out, when it comes to human and organizational performance and behavioral-based safety, it's not an either-or. Let's keep working together and building on what we collectively have learned. Right? If these programs would quit debating and start cooperating, the result would be a much more holistic approach. And then they go on to say this. Organizational leaders should use the best elements of both philosophies in an integrated fashion to help prevent injuries and fatalities. Also, companies using BBS should benefit from HOP applications and vice versa. These approaches are complementary, not contradictory, in this pursuit. And I would call crap on that. <laughs>
I don't think the programs are the same. They weren't intended to be the same, and they come from a very different philosophical underpinning. That is important. I understand why they wrote the paper. And I understand that we've built a system over the last couple of years that has made these two programs look like they're enemies. They're not enemies. They're just incredibly different ways to see the world. One sees the world as a place where workers have free agency and that workers control every decision and every choice. The other sees the world as systems that should be built by designing failure into the process and allowing the failure to be successfully intervened by controls, defenses, safeguards, we call it capacity. And one looks at the worker as the problem to be fixed. Make better choices, right? Make less errors, I guess is what they were saying. The other looks at the worker as the solution. And instead of constraining workers and observing workers and keeping tally on worker behavior, we simply ask the worker what they need in order to be successful. And then we help provide a system that has the ability to always have altitude, a margin of maneuverability. That's the key. Read it carefully. Make your own decisions. Because I promise you, everyone in this argument is a good person who wants the best things. But they're not the same. And as hard as you want to make them the same, they're not. And the difference is fundamentally in how we see the workers. Do we constrain workers and ask them to make better choices? Ask them to care more? Or do we build systems where we recognize that what the worker does is constantly and adaptively respond to a complex organization that has many, many goals that are almost always and constantly in conflict with one another? That, my friend, is the question. So that's my discussion. It's, it's long. <laughs> I, I hope it's meaningful. Maybe I'll give it a listen before I put it up, but I, I, I want you to think about it because that article is yours to read and lots and lots of people are going to read it. And I'm not sure it's helpful and I feel relatively certain that it's dangerous. You'll never get a person to change if their livelihood depends on it. And one of the challenges we have is that a lot of people's livelihood depends on building a case where observation of workers that are calculated and put into a database help us control outcomes and predict the future. And that's just not true. That's the podcast. What do you think? Learn something new every single day. Read that article and tell me what you think. I'm really curious. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Josh and, and you guys, thanks for writing that a lot. That was meaningful. And until then, like I always say, be safe.